The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Coming up, great Scott, Queen of the Jungle, One Love is All You Need and thousands flock to see the Magpies at St James's Park. It's Matt Davis-Adams here, filling in for Lindsay this week with me, the former Lioness Anita Asante. Hi, Anita. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Um, joining Anita and I today from the wonderful world of sports broadcasting is Anne-Marie Batson. After a rare weekend off, Anne-Marie, you must be refreshed <laughs> and ready to go. Not at all, not at all. <laughs> Hi, both. Hope you're well. Right, there's a new queen of the jungle. The winner of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here 2022. And the new queen of the jungle. Uh, let's get your reaction, first of all, Anita, to Jill Scott winning the I'm a Celebrity final. Former teammate of yours with Villa and England and, and GB as well. Were you surprised? Were you expecting this? What was it going to do for her career, do you think? No, it was never in doubt for me. She was the queen of the jungle. The minute she stepped in there, I just knew that everyone would see kind of what we've all been able to experience as, as former teammates, you know just her energy, you know, she's got this infectious personality. And I think it's going to do wonders for her post-playing career, you know, all the opportunities that will arise because she just has so much character and personality. And I think that's what people sort of got, you know, uh, drawn into. She's that that lovable person who always tries to, um, you know, she always thinks of everybody else and tries to make them feel good, even at the toughest, you know, uh, tasks like we saw in the jungle. Yeah, credit to her profession and her country. Not like the person who ended up finishing third in the competition. Um, Anne-Marie, Laura Bassett told me on Sunday that, that what we've seen on screen is just how Jill is in real life. And I mean, that's the best way to win this kind of thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Can I just say big up the Mackhams? I'm sure they are delighted with the result <laughs> for Jill Scott today in the mighty Sunderland. Uh, yeah, so happy for her. And she's she's just being herself, exactly what Anita said. What you see is what you get with Jill. I've interviewed her a few times and she's just the most humble, most down-to-earth person on the planet. And I love the fact in her interviews now she's talking about, you know, she wanted to look after the team and she was 100% a team player, didn't give off no airs and graces and just got on with it, just got on with it. And I think that just shows you what type of person she is I'm over the moon for Jill and hopefully the doors are going to open even more for her now for opportunities because I think she's a as well as being a former fantastic player but just a wonderful person too yeah I think you spot on there Anne-Marie she's she's going to be even more famous than she was when she left the Athletics Katie White is is writing a couple of articles about this one on Jill Scott's win and another on the commercialization of the Lionesses so look out for those on the Athletic website this week. What, what do you think she's going to do next, Anita? Is she going to come back in the game or is she going to try and do the um, the much vaunted I'm a celebrity, Strictly Come Dancing double? <laughs> Who knows? I think she could do anything that she puts her mind to. No doubt she'll always want to be around football in some capacity because if anyone knows drill, she loves a passing drill. And secondly, you know, she was doing a couple of dance moves that I think she needs help with 
that we saw in the jungle and Strictly would be the perfect show to, to for her to sh- showcase some of her dance moves. So no doubt she'll be on another show somewhere soon, if not presenting. You know, I could definitely see her doing something like that too. Yeah, whatever she turns her hand to, I'm sure she'll be a big success. Many congratulations to Jill Scott. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Well, away from the Australian jungle over in Qatar, the athletic team busy keeping you up to date with the World Cup. And there's a story spilling over into the women's game too. Uh, One love armbands or no one love armbands. Finland's Linda Salström, uh, she who scored the fastest goal in the women's Euros this summer against Spain, 49 seconds it was. Uh, She tweeted the following last week. Hey FIFA, have you thought about what kind of signal you're sending to all the gay players who are going to play in the FIFA Women's World Cup next year? My takeaway from the ban is that as a gay player, I'm unwelcome in the football world to the degree that even other players should be punished for standing up for my right to exist. FIFA is ruining football for everyone. Anne-Marie, the the point about the message being sent to players playing in the World Cup next year is spot on, right? But but I wonder, do FIFA even care about that? I mean, maybe from from their point of view, they're thinking, well, this isn't going to be an issue by next year. There there are no issues around illegality of homosexuality in Australia and New Zealand. So we can just sweep this under the carpet once Qatar's done and move on. If FIFA think that, Matt, then they're incredibly naive. I think in this day and age now, there is no place to hide anymore. You cannot hide under blanket statements, make mealy mouth statements, because people will be on you very quickly and hold you to account. And the last few days or so, as wonderful the football has been, there's been some several head in hand moments for me from what has come out from from FIFA. And I think it's strong strengthened the view of some of us within the football world that we cannot let this stand anymore. I think Linda is absolutely spot on. I cannot disagree with one word that she says in her statement. And I love the fact that you can just sense the emotion about what she's saying. My takeaway from that ban is that I, as a gay player, I am unwelcome in the football world. I mean, if that doesn't strike the hearts of someone, then you've got a heart of stone as far as I'm concerned, because football for me is all about inclusivity. And if somebody feels that way, then that breaks my heart. So I will make sure, using my voice, using my platform, as I'm sure loads of other people will, just making sure that we keep on at the case at FIFA. That If you're talking about promoting the game worldwide, that it is a game for everybody, regardless of your religion, your sexuality, your race, your gender, you're going to have to show it. And right now, we're not exactly seeing that. So get ready for the next World Cup, which is the Women's World Cup, because we're going to be shouting it loud and proud. Um, Anita, you've you've written a a very eloquent column in The Guardian on this, calling what happened annoying, frustrating and disappointing. Are are you kind of spreading your disappointment between FIFA and the individual federations or is it it FIFA who who you're most angry with? I I mean, I'm I'm most angry with FIFA because obviously it's their competition and their tournament and their opportunity uh, as an institution that says it's promoting football on a global scale to sort of lead by example. You know, and if they had done that, perhaps other federations would have fell into line uh, and also supported kind of these messages. But they they haven't been able to do that time and time again. Of course, you know, it's it's frustrating as well in terms of the federations, because, you know, collectively, when the, the nations come together, whether it be players, you know, the management, all of that, that they're stronger in numbers. But as soon as they had some pushback, they so easily capitulated they you know stood back and said no we're not doing that and I think that's disappointing 
to see that they can't really show that kind of um, advocacy and allyship in, in the most important of times. Yeah, and you, you highlighted the contrast between the men's and, and women's game and, and the response that a women's team might have had. Do you think then that it's not just England, obviously, there are plenty of other countries who are in this position, but do you think that the actual players themselves could have taken a bit more responsibility for that? Or, or is that not realistic to expect in a men's World Cup of, of I don't know, Harry Kane or, or Gareth Bale or whoever it would be? Of course they could. I mean, you know, it takes courage absolutely for whether it be individual players or teams to stand up for each other. But, you know, we've seen national teams come together in important moments to, to show that support for their teammates when it was BLM, for example, and, and, and that kind of protest. And, and obviously with Iran, the Iranian players making a stand collectively against their government, you know, actual people's lives are in danger and actual people are losing their lives because their freedoms are being stripped away. Getting a yellow card in a football match is, is nothing in stark contrast to that. So, of course, they could do more. They're in a position uh, with the protections of our universal rights within our own home nations to, to do that as well. Do you go and check out that article by Anita on The Guardian. It's really well worth your time. But as FIFA recommends, we better get back to the football. We'll start in Europe. <laughs> So it was match day three in the Champions League last week. Plenty of English involvement, not least in the Battle of the Brits Abroad, as we called it last week, as Barcelona beat Bayern Munich by three goals to nil. Chelsea taking a step further to the knockout rounds, beating Real Madrid 2-0 and Arsenal drawing 1-1 against Juventus. Lucy Bronze and Kira Walsh, first English players to play for Barcelona at Camp Nou since Gary Lineker in 1989. Walsh said her Manchester accent has been the biggest barrier since joining Barcelona. Uh, Anne-Marie, we've got another ACL injury to talk about. Beth Meads is going to be out for the remainder of the season, one would assume. The latest player to get this particular injury, Katoto, Mead Press, Macario, Piteas, Carpenter, Marta. Might want to stick some music under this. Producer Sophie will go for an ad break or something, come back, and then I'll still be reading out all these players who've got this terrible, devastating injury. Vivian Miedemar thinks this might not be a coincidence that it's happening to top players. Is it just a, a case of overload, do you think? Obviously, we had the Euros in the summer, then straight back into the league, and, and maybe this is a consequence of that. Perhaps. I'm not a medic. I wouldn't want to say it's it's one way or the other. The one thing I will say is I'm absolutely devastated that players, top players, are having their seasons curtailed by this injury, by ACLs, to lose somebody of Beth Mead's quality, for Arsenal, for you know somebody like Alexa Puteas to do it on the eve of the Euros as well, I cannot imagine what it is like for an athlete to do their ACL. I can only imagine, actually, from an emotional point of view, it's absolutely devastating. Schedules, yes, maybe that needs looking at training, conditioning, resting, all those types of things maybe looking at. We just know that it's becoming more and more of an occurrence and maybe Anita can speak more of it than what I can I just hope that, you know, in today's world with the physiotherapy, the treatments, that they can get back to their ultimate best, which is, you know, contributing to the pitch and scoring goals for their team. I wish I could say it's a coincidence because of the schedules. Yes, I think, you know, players and managers have talked about the tight turnaround that had been because of the Euros and then straight back into to the domestic league. Maybe it's a discussion that needs to be had. Anita, you've had this injury, right? Yeah, I've, I've done my ACL twice. 10 years apart, actually. 
really painful? How long are we out for? Kind of six, <laughs> six to nine months. It's very painful. And it's, yeah, probably one of the worst injuries you can do just because of the time frame that you're out for. And I was out for at least nine to 10 months with, with both injuries for a full return to play. And I think, you know, this discussion has been ongoing for a very, very long time. And of course, there are lots of things that are factored in now, you know, menstrual cycles, the loading, you know, game schedule, the scheduling for domestic and international games. Uh, and all of these things, I think, over time, just need further scrutiny to really understand what it is leading to so many ACL injuries. But I do believe that, you know, the game has grown so quickly and players are now playing professionally and we haven't been professional for a super long time. So you need all the other aspects around that to, to also live up to that level. And that's in terms of preparation and the recovery, the medical support, so that these players, especially at the elite level, can compete consistently when they're expected to play as many games as they are now. And on top of that, with the travel, you know, a lot of these teams would not have traveled as far afield as they are today because of, of course, all the domestic leagues are improving. So that's also having an impact. And it's probably something that does need to be looked at further. Well, on the pitch, Anne-Marie, Arsenal might feel they could have won that game against Juventus, but but to have seven points from three games and be top of the group, obviously, with Leon in it too and, and unbeaten, they're, they're in a really good position. They're in a good position. It's going to get tougher. It's really going to get tougher. And I'm sure Arsenal fans are, are concerned about how deep the squad can go, given the squad depth and the injuries that they had. I, did, I quite enjoyed that match, actually, actually, with Arsenal and Juventus, just to see the two managers on the touchline in terms of how they were going to approach the game. You know, Miedemar rescuing Arsenal. Can I say that word, rescuing Arsenal again? Because it it was looking fairly tight at one point. But as I said, it's going to get harder now. And with Leon in that group looking extremely good, I'm not sure how deep Arsenal can go. What about Chelsea, Anita? It's a club that you know well, of course, having having played for them. Anne-Marie and and I both know them too, professionally. But but they're... Not quite nailed on to qualify from Group A, but three wins from three, nine points, five point buffer already between themselves, uh, PSG and Real Madrid. Avoid defeat away to Madrid and you'd think they're just about there, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I watched their last game against Real Madrid and I think they were solid back to front. You know, they, they were able to make changes in that game and, and have rotation because they're so comfortable in the way that they're playing at the moment and they've got a real sort of momentum and they looked strong. I actually thought Real Madrid were quite disappointing against them at home. But of course, Kings Meadow is a fortress for any team that, that comes there. But at the moment, they look like they're in a very comfortable position and, and lots of players in, in flying form. But I think the most important thing with Chelsea is that, you know, because of the wealth of talent they have in the team, they're expected to dominate the ball. And and they're a team that doesn't have to do that and still get results. And that's what always makes them a threat, no matter who they sort of face in Europe. Yeah, Emma Hayes said this was her best ever Chelsea squad. She added, if only I still had Anita Asante, um, probably. (laughs) Well, there was no WSL action this weekend past, but Europe's big teams did play in their leagues. A couple of significant results too. Uh, in France, Lyon beat Paris by three goals to two. Oh, la 
là là là, ce match qui bascule, on l'avait Really dit. good game this. I was um, commentating on this one and it swung forth one way and then the other. I thought it was a very impressive win, Anita, for Lyon, given the fact that their injury list is so horrific and the fact that they trailed in this match and played in the Champions League on Thursday. So they really needed the, the grit and determination to go with the skill that we always associate with Lyon. Yeah, it's a, it's an impressive result for them in the sense that, like you mentioned, the injuries that they have and also they're a team that always go out with a target on their back. You know, they're the team to beat and are expected to win. But this obviously wasn't a comfortable win for them and they had to show another side to themselves and have that sort of character and resilience to, you know, come back as well from a goal and, and, and get the result. But of course, the experience shows in players like Renard, who obviously popped up with two goals um, and, and talented players like Cascarino, because Paris FC actually have a lot of attacking threats in that team who cause problems, but they found a way. And I think the best teams, especially with winning mentality, managed to do that. Yeah, they had a helping hand from the Paris keeper as well. Uh, it means Leon are two points clear of PSG. Paris are in third, seven points off the leaders. We mentioned Barcelona earlier. They had a thumping 6-1 win away to Atletico Madrid. means they're eight points clear at the top of the table already, albeit having played a game more. Uh, they've won 10 of 10, scored 43, conceded just three. And amongst the goal scorers at the weekend, Anne-Marie, was Lucy Bronze. Beautiful diving header as well. Ahí va la bola de Mapi, muy tocadita. Wonderful, wonderful. I fear for anybody coming up against um, Barcelona now, Matt. I really do. Whether it's in the domestic league or in the UEFA Women's Champions League, because my goodness, imperious is the word I use for Chelsea. It's the same word I would use for Barcelona. They're your favourites, Anita, for the Champions League this season, Barcelona. Obviously, Leon picked up a little bit, but but in a bit of a sticky position in terms of getting out of their group. Yeah, for sure. I think if, if ever they had a better chance, it would be now, especially with the position that Leon are in in terms of their injury list. But they're just frightening. But ultimately, they're just a joy to watch. You know, every season I watch them, I'm just like astounded by what they can do and, and the level and quality of the players they have. Because not only do they you know, absolutely dominate games in their, with their playing style, it's actually enjoyable, you know, to watch back to front, comfortable players on the ball from the defence, the goalkeeper through to the forward players. And to see Lucy Bronze and, and Kira Walsh slot into that team seemingly as well is such a positive thing for England as well. Yeah, and while we're talking Barcelona, Alexia Puteas has a documentary that comes out on Wednesday. The Athletics' Paul Ballas will be chatting to Puteas for an interview at the Premier, so look out for that one on The Athletic. All right, let's get back to the UK now. Not in a In the only WSL game of the week, it was a rescheduled fixture. Reading scored an 89th minute equaliser to hold Liverpool to a 3-3 draw. Yes, another draw. You wait two months for one and then two come along at once. Um, in terms of these two teams, Anne-Marie, Liverpool 10th, five points. Maybe that's about par for a newly promoted side, but but Reading only four points so far. Can you put your finger on what's gone wrong for them this season? And is a 3-0 win at Southampton in the Conti Cup at the weekend going to help them? Or, or does the Conti Cup not count in terms of building momentum? So a few things with that, actually, Matt. I would say Liverpool, I'm I'm fairly relaxed about. It's their first season back in the WSL. There's going to be bumps and highs in their journey for them. I think it was a brilliant win 
over Chelsea at the beginning of the season. And obviously results haven't necessarily replicated that. I'd like to think with the Conte company, it will help them just just build some confidence within themselves because that's what you need when you're out on the pitch. You need the confidence and the belief that you're going to win games. And I think the Conte Cup will help with that. Reading, though, there are slight alarm bells ringing for me. When I started working in the WSL, and I, I like Reading a lot, I like Kelly Chambers, I like what she was, she's been doing. I do feel, in the beginning, when I was working in it, I used to see Reading as a team that would be a thorn in the side, as I used before, um, for those top teams, for the Man Cities of this world and, and for Chelsea and for Arsenal. Over the last couple of seasons, though, they've slipped away from that and you've seen other teams now becoming thorns in the sides of the bigger teams, if you like. And I'm just wondering, where does Reading sit in all that? Because before they were, you know, they were in the top five and they've fallen out of the top five recently. So I, I do wonder where things have, have gone wrong. Is it because players have left and moved on or is it the style of play that other teams are quickly... Working out, I don't know, but I think something needs to happen fairly quickly or they're going to find themselves, you know, fighting relegation. And that's not somewhere that I thought Reading could ever be. What do you think, um, Anish? Is a bit of complacency maybe, maybe a bit of over-familiarity as well with Kelly Chambers having been there for so long. But then you look at the table and think, well, finish above Leicester and you probably stay up, right? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if it's complacency. I think it's a little bit of transition, you know, new players coming in. They're not sinking. The relationships aren't there in the way that they had hoped. They've also changed their system. They've always been noted for playing a diamond. They've adapted that, which is also going to take time. So they haven't necessarily got the foundations that they used to, but they've also got new players in and they're tinkering and it's not getting them necessarily the results that perhaps they thought they would get. I think having Deanna Rose injured as well has been a massive, had a massive impact on this team because as we saw, she was such a threat in that forward line last season and actually managed, you know, secure some points for the team. So yeah, I think it is a concern, but I definitely think they'll stay up. Uh, above Leicester this season. All right, you heard it here first. At the weekend, there was no WSL action, so attention turned to the aforementioned Conti Cup and the FA Cup second round. One tie broke the attendance record for an FA Cup game outside of a final. Wasn't a top-tier meeting or even second or third. Four-tier Newcastle played Barnsley in front of 28,565 at St. James's Park. Earlier, I caught up with their manager, Becky Langley, and head of women's football, Sue Cumming. Well, I'm joined now by Becky Langley, the manager of Newcastle United, and Sue Cumming, who is the head of women's football. Um, Sue, I'll, I'll start with you. Give us your reaction to, to the attendance before we talk about the game. More than 28,500 at St James's Park to see the win against Barnsley in the Cup. Oh, it's a dream, dream come true. We had a conversation, Becky and I, about trying to make this work in May when we had our first game at St James's Park, and we expected... 10, 12,000 and 22 turned up and yesterday the, it felt like home to James's Park it was bustling, it was busy it was fun and I think everybody who came along had a really really good time and as you can probably tell from the way I'm speaking about it, it's still really excited <laughs> Becky, what kind of difference does that make to you in terms of your preparation for the game when you hear there's going to be a crowd that big? As Sue said you'd had one of a similar size before but I guess you've got to try and manage the adrenaline of your players if that's even possible yes definitely I think the initial excitement to know that your team is going to be playing in front of 25,000 plus you kind of have that buzz that you know you've got to have that home advantage but I think you've also got to be really mindful that 
we're not used to those huge crowds. So it must be really nerve wracking for the players. They're excited, you know, they want to perform on that big stage. But imagine taking your first touch in front of 28,000 people watching you compared to, you know, last season we averaged probably two to 300 fans. This season that's increased at Kingston Park where we're getting kind of 2,000 fans, but it's still such a huge difference. And yeah, we've got to keep the girls' feet on the ground and almost just keep them calm and thinking about doing their job and just what they need to do to perform well. So yeah, I think they, they handled it really well, especially in the second half. So we're really proud of them. So I was going to ask you if you had any kind of inkling before this season that there was this sort of potential for, for such huge crowds to, to watch the team. But but I'm guessing based on what Becky said there that, you know, you're used to two to three hundred. This was even beyond your wildest dreams, wasn't it? That there'd be 28,000 plus. Oh, yeah, it was. I think um, I think we were shocked um, in May when I had to delay the start. And as I said earlier, we thought maybe 5,000, which is why we didn't do pre-sales on, on tickets in May, because we didn't expect the numbers to be so great. We had to delay the start because everybody was locking up to the game and nobody and the stewards couldn't cope with the demand because it was cash on the, on the entry. But we started to see a growth before the Euros in our home games generally, two, three hundred, as Becky said. And then as the season moved on into this year, we've moved to a slightly bigger ground and we started to get 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 regular fans. So you know that the appetite is there. And I think the Euros has given a bit of a boost. And the fact that we're allowed and able to play at St James's Park gives all those young women that opportunity to go and just have a, a feel for what it could be like for them in the future. There were so many kids' football teams there yesterday and so many little girls who were, when I say little, I mean from, you know, from 5 to 15, really, who were all really keen. And you can just see that those days out of uh, what makes it special for them. I'm not sure that it would dilute a bit if we did it every week at the moment. I think we probably... That would be a step too far. But I think from a crowd capacity point of view, doing it a couple of times a year will definitely make a difference to those young kids who want to play. And also for our, our reputation of engaging with communities from you know across the whole city, really. Very good. Very happy. In, in terms of the game itself, Becky, illuminated by two wonderful goals. They've gone to try and beat the kid. Did you think that your team were, were worthy of the win in the end? Yeah, definitely. I think even in the first half, we felt like we were the better team, although we weren't kind of performing to the levels that we know we can reach. It was kind of that last final pass. It was just either too overrun or the goalkeeper had quite high starting position. So she, the Barnsley goalkeeper did well to kind of sweep up anything in behind. So we knew we had to, you know, make more clever runs in the second half, be a bit more confident with that final pass. And I think kind of after the halftime team talk, I think the players did really well. So, yeah, I'm just just absolutely ecstatic still. I think we're all just so excited and we're on that buzz of, you know, again, for some of the players, it was their first time playing at St. James's Park. For a few of the players, it was their second time. And you probably think it's just going to be one of those once in a lifetime opportunities. But to have that second chance and to have your owner actually doing some of the pre-match chat before the game was just absolutely terrific. So Amanda Stabley was in the in the dressing room, right? What what did she say? Yeah. Yeah, she um she came in to have a chat with the girls before we went out to warm up and you know, she almost came across quite emotional. You could tell it was coming from the heart. We all had goosebumps listening to her vision and how proud she is of the team and how we're inspiring little girls in the crowd who are there watching and we should be all absolutely 
delighted with that and that the kids would go home and be inspired by our women's team. So it was, you know, really nice to hear her acknowledge all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes. But I think the biggest thing for Amanda is about empowering women and other girls who were sitting in that crowd yesterday feeling the love for the players who were on the pitch. Sue, that's um, th- that's great to hear uh, what Amanda said, but obviously it's contrasted by the fact that, that Newcastle United are owned by the Saudi-owned PIF and, and in Saudi Arabia, a male relative still required to give permission for a woman to marry, uh, to start certain types of businesses, to, to leave a domestic abuse shelter. How do you square that with, with your own sort of set of, of morals and ethics as, as a club and as individuals? I think um, our approach is very much about what we can do in, in Newcastle and how we promote what we do in a positive way in our local community we're not working um, across the pond at the moment and it's very much about trying to uh, make sure that we we get everything right with the team that we've got and the uh, the approach that we've got with our communities here appreciate yes it's it's, uh, it's difficult in Saudi uh, for women in lots of different ways um, and I think ultimately some of the work that we're doing maybe in the future as we start to become bigger and more noticed might have a benefit but at the moment, I think our our kind of local vision is the one that we have to concentrate on at this time. And in terms of the football club and, it, and its future, Sue, have you have you set a time frame of, of kind of getting into the the WSL, or or is that not you know a realistic thing to do in football? We all know how it works. You can <laughs> well, you can have five year plans, can't you? And they, they very rarely yeah. come to fruition. Yeah, I think I think originally we kind of thought let's you know look at a year on year promotion and see how long that will take. Um, and you write a strategy and, and it looks like, you know, five, seven years or whatever, and it would be nice to achieve that. I think from Becky and my point of view, we, we all want to try and win the league when we when we get those chances and as much as we possibly can, do that as quickly as we can. But we're also mindful that we're a growing club. So I think our realistic objective is to just achieve WSL status as quickly as we possibly can. If we put a time frame on it, as you said, I think it would probably backfire on us in some respects. And it. And it's not to belittle any of the other teams in our league or our leagues above us. Everybody's striving for that same thing. And we're just trying to build using a set of really sensible building blocks of community development, team development, bringing in players that can support that that vision. But ideally, you know, the, the sooner the better. Clearly, we've got the appetite, the fans, the owners would like that. But there's no real pressure on anybody to, to succeed really quickly. I think the transformation in the last four months of taking girls from our team giving them paid to be played or even paying to play even would be better and and actually helping them grow as people is giving them that, that strength and I think over the next couple of years we'll, we'll hopefully strengthen enough to be able to get promotion that would be the plan. Are you planning any more games at James's Park this season? Yeah we hope to the commitment is for two um, I'm speaking to the league tomorrow because we have to plan it so far in advance because of the Premier League fixtures which is why this one changed a bit because we picked the date and then the FA Cup changed because we obviously did quite well. But uh, yes, we're, we're hoping to play towards the end of the season. Another one in the spring. Just need to try and negotiate a date really with the around everybody's fixtures. Very exciting. Yeah, really exciting. We really appreciate your time today as well. Becky, before we let the both of you go, you're going to be getting new fans, obviously, as the season goes on. Shana Wilkinson got, got the headlines at the weekend. Is, is there anybody else you would particularly point out for, for people to look out for as, as players who we'll be seeing more of in the future? Absolutely. I think um totally agree with you know what you were saying about Shana. I think she did absolutely brilliant when she came off the bench yesterday and her strike, you know, to to be able to technically execute 
a finish from about 40 yards out is you know absolutely brilliant but yes I thought Georgia Gibson was brilliant yesterday as well she was obviously the first goal scorer in the game but her overall work rate and performance was brilliant and I think it was fair to say that Charlotte Potts who was playing in the back four was you know absolutely outstanding she's played in the championship and and in the WSL and yeah she was very calm and composed at the back and yeah, she's a, she's a very intelligent footballer. So I just urge Newcastle fans to come out and keep supporting our women's team because they'll come and watch a team that leaves absolutely everything on the pitch and gives that, you know, passion and determination towards towards women's football. And um, yeah, we just want to do well for our city and we just love your support. Well, you've certainly done well so far this season. We wish you the best of luck for the rest of the campaign. Thank you so much, both of you, for your time today. Thank you very Brilliant. much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us on. Becky Langley and Sue coming from Newcastle United there uh, in the Conti Cup. Bristol City, where Anita is coach, travelled to Charlton, finished 2-1 to Charlton in this game. How did you reflect on it, Anita? Yeah, it was a very good contest uh, between our sides, but um, unfortunately we didn't get the result we'd hoped for. I think, you know, Charlton are a tough team to meet at their home ground and obviously have a lot of threats when it comes to set-piece situations, which unfortunately we were undone by in those scenarios. But it's um, a good competition for us to go away from, analyse and reflect on going into our next league game. How have you found being a coach? Tell us a bit about what, what a typical day is like and, and what's the setup like at Bristol? Um, well, I'm really enjoying the setup so far. It's been great to work with Lauren Smith and, and Jennifer Foster, um, our other assistant, and Dan as well. A day in the life of me as a coach, <laughs> muchly as, you know, planning sessions, having one-to-ones with players, having individual sessions with them and trying to help support their development as well as the team development having the long-term kind of viewpoint for where the team, where we want the team to be. Uh, It's a lot of watching football, a lot of watching the opposition, analysing obviously their weaknesses and where we can hurt them. But, you know, myself as well, I'm learning a lot in terms of what kind of personality am I around those players in all circumstances when when we're playing really well, when we're not, uh, and how best to sort of, to get the group to pull together in the the direction that we all uh, collectively want. And what have you found out about yourself? Are you the, are you the arm round the shoulder type or the rocket up the backside? Um, <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever been the rocket up your backside person or player even. So I'm, I'm not that person, but I am, I think, quite forthright when I need to be, you know, in terms of making sure that I get clear messages across to those players um, and they understand kind of the standards that I would like to see and set. But of course, you know, I think there's always a time where individuals you need to see them as individuals and as humans and put an arm around them and understand you know that they are not just footballers they have a lot of good things going on as well in their lives and ultimately just how we can always get them to perform at their best. Do you think that the championship could benefit from a bit more competition Anne-Marie between teams because it's quite often the case isn't it that a team gets relegated from the WSL and then within one or two seasons at most they're, they're straight back up again is, is that kind of something that's inevitable if not all the clubs in the championship are full-time and, and you get a team that comes from the WSL with that kind of setup they're going to have a massive advantage yes I, I believe so but also at the same time the matches that I've seen in the championship have been extremely 
competitive. It's a good watch, the championship. The one thing I struggle with, just as a side note, is actually when I'm prepping for championship games is getting information on the online and what have you about the teams. That's a little bit of a struggle. But actually, you know, yes, it is It is that reality check, isn't it? Coming from the championship into the WSL, it's a massive leap. But this is what you. This is what the dream is, isn't it? To reach the pinnacles, the high heights of football within the domestic league in the women's game. So, I love the championship for the fierce battles that go on between the teams. But it is slightly disheartening when teams are promoted that they are struggling against the teams that have been in the WSL for a long period of time. And you're seeing that gulf now, aren't you, between certain clubs? How you remedy that? It's all about the investment, isn't it? So teams can be be competitive, but also be on a level playing ground, sorry, pardon the pun, with each other. How you solve that, it's about the money, I'm afraid. Have you noticed much trickle-down from the Euros, Anita, in terms of interest in the Championship this season? Do the grounds seem a bit busier to you or is that something that's not not happened in the second tier in the way that it has in the WSL? No, we definitely have. I think when we've played our games at Ashton Gate, we've got a decent attendance there and um, also at HPC and you mentioned earlier with Newcastle. So I, I definitely think there is a, a trickle down effect. But as Anne-Marie mentioned, you know, we want to try and lay those foundations early doors now because ultimately all the teams competing in the championship, only one team can get promoted. So it is fierce competition. Everybody at the top wants to get there, um, but they need to also, we, we collectively need to understand what it will take to not just reach there, but stay there. So ultimately it's about pulling all of that interest and, and also investment into the team, you know, making sure they're supported in the right way so that they can compete if we do make it there. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, coming up in the Championship this weekend, it's the last round of matches before Christmas. There's uh, top of the table, London City playing third place, newly promoted Southampton. At the bottom, Coventry United hosts Sunderland. Anita, uh, you're going all the way up to Durham with Bristol City. What kind of a challenge will that be for your side? It's, it's going to be a tough challenge. I, I think I've played Durham a number of times myself when I was at Villa and it's a team that never makes it easy for you. There's, you know, very aggressive, organized team that makes it very difficult to create. Um, they're a threat as well from set pieces. So I think for us, we're, we're definitely going to have to be at our best. We can't start slow as we did against Charlton. We definitely got to come out the blocks and really impose ourselves in the game and, and play a much more fluid game than we did on the weekend. Some big matches, Anne-Marie. Um, who do you fancy? London City against Southampton is one that really catches the eye, isn't it? I guess we'll get a, a decent steer on whether Southampton are going to be proper promotion contenders as to whether they can hang with the table toppers. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen London City Lionesses and they're a fierce team. Honestly, they are. They really go for every ball, every tackle, and they don't give up until, you know, until that final whistle goes. So I'd expect London City actually to come out with a win against Southampton. And meanwhile, in the WSL, it's Manchester United against Aston Villa at Old Trafford. Villa, your former club, Anita. <laughs> um, can you can you try and say something about how they've done this season without talking about Rachel Daly? <laughs> I think it's impossible to talk about Villa without talking about Rachel Daly. But yeah, of course, they've had a much better start to this season. Those new signings have actually been very impactful. Rachel Daly, Hansen, Kenza Daly. I think it's definitely shored up the team from back to front. And there's 
putting out a bit more aggression going into games. You know, they're really on the front foot. They want to front foot press teams and win balls higher up the pitch. And, you know, Rachel Daly's getting the kind of service that she should get because she's always a threat in and around the box. And she's really capitalizing off those chances, which is only going to add to the overall morale and spirit of the team and the belief of the team as we're seeing this season. Yeah, they're looking pretty good. This is going to be a tough game for them, though. United have been exceptional, haven't they, Anne-Marie, particularly at the Emirates. They had the weekend off because of the, the structure of their Conti Cup group. Don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing at this stage of the season, particularly if you're winning. You kind of want the momentum, don't you? Yes, but then we were talking about a few minutes ago about how congested the, how congested the schedule is. So... Yes and no, I, I can see the point on both sides of having that chance to have a bit of a break, but at the same time, you're riding that momentum wave and you just want to keep that good feeling going. So I can see that. Man United, for me, I've always felt there's been something there with that team. And what I really like about them is that they are absolutely fearless. They don't care if you are Chelsea or if you're Tottenham or even if you're Leicester. They're going to go at you regardless. And I really love that. And what I'm particularly interested in with Manchester United, I think they're the only one of the only squads, and I'm happy to be corrected about this, they've actually got a full-strength squad apart from one player, which I think is Afer Mannion because she's recovering from an ACL. But they've pretty much got a full squad, which plays massively in their favour. It's a chance to play at Old Trafford again, their church. that you know They're going to bring the crowds with them. They're on a real roll right now. And especially after beating Arsenal as well, their tails are going to be right up. So um, I think it's going to go down to Y for this match. But again, I think Manchester United will walk away with all three points. Elsewhere, we've got Arsenal against Everton, Leicester, Chelsea, Reading, Spurs, Man City, Brighton and Liverpool, West Ham. Any of those catch your eye in particular, Anita? I think Arsenal, Everton will be an interesting one to see. You know, they, they had a couple of good results and then they tailed off a little bit. But you can really see what the manager there is is trying to create with that side. And I think there's a lot more to come from Everton. I think Reading Spurs as well. You know, Reading, they really need a result um, if they have a fighting chance of staying up this season and not having to wait to the last few fixtures of the season to, to see where they're at and relying on other teams and results. So that would be another interesting one because I think in the past, those were the sorts of clubs they would have expected to get points off. We mentioned Liverpool earlier and Marie. They got the Matt Beard derby this weekend against West Ham. At home, that looks like a winnable fixture for them. Yes, and I was going to, you just actually made that brilliant point, Matt, about that it's, it's the Matt Beard derby, isn't it? It's always intriguing when a manager goes up against a former club. You know, West Ham have had an up and down season, but they're, they're finally settling now and Liverpool are battling hard to stay within the WSL. So there's lots on the line for both teams. If anything, the bragging rights as well, I think is going to be a major play. So that was going to be my pick. Actually, that was the one I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the most, how the teams are going to set up, what the tactics are, go- are going to be as well. Paul Koncheski, we know for West Ham, he likes to stick up for his players. So if there's any tackles or fouls that he doesn't like, you're going to hear it from the touchline as well. So yeah, really intriguing match. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, we mentioned briefly Leicester, Anita. Willie Kirk in charge there now. I'm sure he's not expecting his team to pick up their first win of the season when they take on Chelsea at the King Power Stadium. they just got to kind of do better than they did against them last season, right? And, and there needs to be a point sometime fairly soon where they get some encouragement, but you know, more realistically, they need points. Yeah, I mean, obviously this is going to be a very tough game for them. Chelsea are in flying form and, and a relentless, you know, 
Chelsea, especially if they create chances, are, are ruthless in those situations. And Leicester really are probably going to line up with a very defensive structure and try to make it as difficult as possible for Chelsea to create on them. But the one thing Leicester have to be, you know, much better in is is reducing their number of mistakes as well, because, you know, they had a quite a tight game the last game and, you know, again, a mistake cost them. So this season for them is largely going to be about learning and learning about this division and, and how they can improve potentially in the future. The only game we didn't touch on there, Anne-Marie, is Man City v Brighton. I've seen Man City a couple of times in recent weeks and it, it looks like the new signings have bedded in and, and Gareth Taylor's kind of settled on a side. They might be without Lauren Hemp for a while, but at home to managerless Brighton, you'd think that this would be a good opportunity for them to get another win and really keep the pressure on, on certainly United, if, if maybe not Arsenal and Chelsea. And Bunny Shaw sitting joined to the top of the table in terms of top scorers in the W. So we we'll want to pull away from a certain Rachel Daly from Aston Villa. <laughs> so I would say, yes, expect some goals. Um, Brighton, have they appointed a full-time coach yet to replace Hope Powell? Or is it still interim at the moment? Because they're in a straight transition, if that's the case. Yeah, um, Amy Merrick's with Alex Penny and Perry Northeast in temporary charge. So they're in a period of transition in terms of getting used to the new coaching setup and so on and so forth. So with Man City, yes, they'll want the three points. Yes, to you know to keep up the pressure on, on United. Bunny will want to pull away definitely from the top of the table. But Brighton, you know, I talked to before about Reading for me were that team that were the thorn in the side of, of WSL top teams. Brighton have been that for the last couple of seasons when Hope Powell was there. They've kind of slipped away from that. But I'd like to see them to do that as well because they are quite capable. I mean, you know, the massive loss that they had that led to Hope Powell's moving on from the club. Yeah, that's going to hurt. That that would have hurt. And they've settled now um, and they've just got to get back into it and, and playing their game and, and imposing themselves with the ball. So... I think that's going to be a high attacking game from Manchester City. Expect lots of goals, so uh, Brighton better be ready to defend. Anita, lastly, on the WSL games, Gareth Taylor's probably really grateful to, to Bunny Shaw, isn't he? Because you, you kind of wonder if he'd still be in a job if her goals hadn't got them out of some sticky situations this season. Yeah, of course. I think there was a lot of expectation on Man City to improve on on last season. Again, a team in major transition, losing key players in Kira Walsh, Bronze, you name it, you know, players retiring, KB. So he was always in a difficult position just for the level of which Man City had always played at. But Bunny Shaw has definitely taken on that responsibility and and boy, is she thriving in that number nine position you know, I've played against her and, and she's a difficult player to meet because she will stretch you, you know, running behind. She's very good at pinning and, and you know, p- bringing other players into play as well, as well as being a threat in the box in the air. So she's definitely, um, you know, full of confidence, but that confidence is also probably coming from the manager who's put that trust in her, you know, and the team to, to find her within their playing style and, it, and it's paying off for them. Yeah, of course, Gareth Taylor was a striker in his playing days too. And plenty of good action to come in the WSL this weekend. Though. But that's just about all the time we have for this week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Many thanks to Anita and Anne-Marie and to you at home for listening as well. Keep the comments coming on social media at The Athletic FC and at Offside Rule Pod. Always great to hear your thoughts. Until next week, goodbye. The Athletic.